Welcome back, Inebriites. This is Andy of the Inebriar Podcast, as always. And um, if you've listened to any episodes, you know I'm not a millennial or Gen Zer, and that's not like being an ageist and trashing on them. I'm just old. And everyone's been telling me that I need to uh, promote the podcast on TikTok. So finally, I gave in. I signed up, and I haven't done anything productive other than waste hours and hours scrolling through TikTok. And on that, I have come across. Um, oh, I didn't ask you, man. Uh, is it Corson? Is that the correct pronunciation? Crossin. Crossin. Um, so Jesse Crossin, um, who's at second underscore chancer on TikTok. And uh, I was fascinated by your your channel. It, it just jumped out to me. I think mostly because I, I find people who have kind of turned around their their lives in dramatic ways amazing and um you know you you spent a lot of time uh incarcerated and you're out now and you're kind of using tiktok as a platform to basically educate people about like the real world like what it's really like yeah. is that fair yeah. i mean it is I, I i just you know there's this interest in in prison there's this interest in places we don't know about there's an interest in war just these kind of extreme environments and it's something that uh, I think we have a lot of popular myths and ideas that are just really blatantly wrong, at least, you know, where I was in prison or where most people are in prison, where, you know, the, the kind of trauma isn't the, the big, you know, prison riots or the sexual assault or the things that we think about on a daily basis. And those do exist in some systems, but it's much more the kind of dehumanization or the lack of support or it's the kind of casual dismissal of people's humanity. And then when we look at the whole purpose of the criminal justice system, which is to, you know, keep people away from society, reform them, release them, we're doing a really bad job. Like if we were, in fact, if we were to design a system that was about as little or least effective as possible, like what we have would be a really good start. <laughs> Yet we don't think about it because, yeah. you know, until I got locked up, I didn't know anybody that was in prison. I remember one family friend who like went away when I was a kid and remember we would get letters where they would like melt the, the candy from M&Ms to get different colors. And he would like draw it on the envelope, but he never talked about it. He never talked about what happened. He never talked about trying to get past it. And like he had a really traumatic experience because the, the prison system was a little bit different then. But yeah, I, I was able to, you know, get a second chance in life. And really, I was able to get a second chance because I had people who believed in me and supported me and gave me opportunities and gave me chances other people didn't have. And I don't think that's right. I think that saying, OK, well, if you happen to come from a middle class family, like you've got a chance after prison or if you happen to come from you know strong community support, you have a chance. But if you don't, we're just going to kind of throw you away casually or we're not going to extend these opportunities to you. So my whole platform my whole hope is to provide other people with those same chances and opportunities so that hopefully more people can succeed and if people with all of that with all support and opportunities continue to try to you know throw their lives away well okay now we can we can pass judgment or now we can say that you know we've done all we can but until we do until we support people and give them a chance we really can't say that they're they're failing or they're not trying or they're not doing what they're supposed to yeah you know i always find it fascinating uh, you know I, i've had people tell me that like oh jail's about punishment and you know yada 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 but I'm like, I, I just don't think they get it. It's like, we don't typically lock people away for life. Most people are going to get out at some point and then they're going to come live next door to somebody. And, and, you know, it's like, would you rather the guy who's been locked in solitary for like years and years live next to you or someone who's been kind of trained, isn't the right word, but kind of given some real world experiences and taught like, Hey, you know, empathy and, and how to be a better person and, and, trying to to reform you know and, and come out of prison and, and and do something good absolutely and it's interesting in, in the top of the podcast 
one of the places I've seen so much growth and healing in prison is art and the creativity and the craftsmanship and the different things that people do. Because for me, I, I learned to draw when I was at Nottaway. So this was fairly early on in my sentence. And I'd never imagined that I was good at anything. Like I'd always just kind of been okay at everything. And I wasn't an incredible artist and I ended up stopping that for it's a long story. But what I saw was like an ability in myself, like a potential that I hadn't realized. Like I had taken art in middle school and I had done a horrible job and the flowers didn't look like flowers and I felt like I couldn't do anything, but I had somebody who had all the time in the world and who was interested and he showed me how to draw. And I remember the first time I did originally just a pencil and then a colored pencil portrait of my grandfather. And I sent it to him and he was like, oh my God, Jesse, like this is amazing. This, is, this looks just like me. Like I'm gonna put this up on the wall. It gave me a sense of kind of meaning and value and it, it added something to my life that had previously been missing. And I watched a number of guys learn how to do, you know, popsicle sticks or carvings or art, you know, visual art or music or all these different things they did that really contributed to who they were as a person, which was a part of the reform process. And absolutely none of it was taught by the Department of Corrections. It was all kind of internal. It was all social. But it showed me the potential of art and creativity and craftsmanship to really turn people's lives around. Yeah. And, and it, it's really interesting because even, you know, most artists are, are creative types in general. I've always said, I feel like, and I don't know which comes first. Uh, it's very like chicken or egg, but I feel like most artists or creatives have a dark side of some kind. And, and whether that dark side creates the creative mindset or that we end up in a creative mindset to kind of help us deal with, you know, whatever demons, whether it be, you know, uh, you know, men mental troubles or drug abuse or, or, or whatever those troubles be. You know, it, it always, it seems to go hand in hand a lot. And so I wonder if, you know, it has, and I'm making a lot of presumptions, I shouldn't, but it has to help with a bit of an escapism in prison to be able to, to draw or sculpt or play music and find stuff to fill the, fill the day. Yeah. Absolutely. And for me, the, the medium that really spoke to me eventually was writing. Like I was really passionate about writing. I was passionate about language. Uh, I didn't do so much fiction. I did some poetry and I mostly just wrote stories. I wrote experiences I'd had or perspective or essays. And it, it again, gave me that feeling of like a sense of meaning and something to do because a big part of my story was drugs and it was self-destructive behavior. And it was kind of just like bouncing around like a billiard ball in the universe and having some way to connect with other people and connect with the world and share a part of myself and then receive other people, that was really what I was looking for my whole life. And art or writing or all these other different mediums allowed me to find that and were a big part of the kind of you know change of who I was. And so watching other people go through that process, watching people find a way to kind of harness that energy that had previously destroyed them was really powerful. And I mean, there were still guys inside. We had severely mentally ill guys. We had guys that were still shooting dope. We had guys that were, you know, still doing anything you can imagine. But oftentimes it was kind of these structured environment or these structured activities or these structured things that brought them into connection either with themselves or with the people or the world around them that really kind of stabilized them and gave them a way to live. So you've clearly kind of turned things around for yourself. You got released early. Um, is it like, was there one moment inside that kind of like change your perspective and, and you're like oh you know i'm gonna you know like what was that spark was it just the fact that you were inside and you're like oh i gotta get my my life together or was there something that happened inside that like really kind of changed you there, i mean there was no one moment there are a lot of kind of like stops along the way or like kind of memories um, but no, it was, and it was often failures. I mean, it was, it was going to prison and having no sense of hope. You know, I remember I was sitting in the jail before I was sentenced 
And I just felt like there was no way my life was over. I had ruined it. I, like I was of no value. I was irredeemable. And yet people like showed me that I was people loved me. I got mail. You know, my mother said, look, we're going to get you an education. I was like, why? I'm going to be in prison for like 10 years or 15 years. And I ended up getting a lot longer than that. But these people who continued to believe in me and kind of show me my value, that was really the spark or that was the beginning. But then it was, you know, mistakes and it was making bad decisions. It was falling back in a hole and becoming depressed and trying to figure out how to claw my way out. And there were moments of just like kind of absolute inhumanity. I remember there was a, uh, a gang uh, assault that happened at the prison. And I remember watching two guys just stomping on this guy's head over and over and over. And something about that moment just kind of shocked me because I realized as I looked around and everybody was like casually dismissing the fact that somebody was like basically being murdered. Um, and just assuming that this was okay and realizing like, I cannot let this place define me. I cannot let this place like take the last of me, my humanity or, or shape the way that I see the world or shape the way that I interact with other people. And I haven't always succeeded at being the best person there. I haven't always succeeded at like rising to my own values, but I realized like those were the moments that I realized like I have to decide upon my values and I have to be the one to live up to them. And really I need the help. I need to find the allies and the people who want to live in that same way. And so a big part of my process was not only finding new people, but also kind of cutting out old relationships, whether there were people I still had connection with on the outside or people that I, I like and that I care about on the inside, but I had to hold at arm's length because I realized like they're not living consistent with the values that I want to have in my life. And that was hard because when you go through things with people, you, you know, you develop that kind of bond or that relationship, but eventually you realize like you have to make, or I realized I had to make a decision for myself and I couldn't allow that bond or that past experience to define where I was going in the future. Do you feel you would have ended up in the same spot where you are now had you not gone in? I have no idea because I was really, like you said, I had no direction. I had no idea. I was just, I was just a ball of kind of anxiety and anger and frustration and depression. I remember somebody described it really well. It felt like there was something chasing me. Like that was my life. It felt like there was something chasing me and I had to get away. So when you talked about demons, I could really kind of relate. So it was like, I tried to drink it away or smoke it away or snort it away or screw it away. I tried to do everything I could to get away from that. And prison didn't really change that fundamentally, but it gave me enough of a respite. Like there, there were drugs in prison. There wasn't sanity in prison. There was distraction, but it somehow gave me a chance to realize that there was another option. It like created the space in which I felt like I could actually make a choice and it had to happen over and over. Like I made bad decisions. I never shot heroin until I went to prison. Like I, again, not, not an ideal situation, but I needed something. I needed something to stop me from running full speed, full bore, like kind of creating chaos around me. And I guess that could have been anything that could have been, you know, an injury that could have been a person in my life that could have been, I, I don't know, but I just know that this up to that point was the only thing that worked. This was the only thing that stopped me long enough to kind of redirect and, and choose where I wanted to be. Yeah. It's, it's funny that you said an injury because you made me think of someone. Um, there's a, a documentary called murder ball. If you haven't seen it, you should definitely check it out. And it is about the United States paraplegic rugby team. And their captain is this guy, Mark Zupan. And he was on, um, I think it was Larry King. And Larry King asked him if there was a cure that would he allow him just to get up and walk out of his chair and never need his chair again. Would he take it? And Mark Zupan said, no. He's like, this chair has given me more in my life than I had before. He's like, I'm a... A, a Olympic Olympic level athlete. I'm on the Larry King show. He's like, it's part of why I am who I am. So it's just interesting that, you know, I feel like too many people like let the, the negative aspects of their life define who they are opposed to kind of making a concerted effort to be like, you know, I'm not going to let it define who I am and I'm going to try to be happy. 
Yeah, I mean, there's a philosophy or an idea. I came across um, this guy in prison who introduced me to mindfulness meditation, reintroduced me to martial arts, and was really kind of pivotal in the shift of becoming the person that I am. And then I found a teacher on the outside that I've worked with for years. And uh, what he always says basically is to whatever comes, welcome it. It's like if you've ever read Rumi, wrote a poem called The Guest House, which is, you know, saying whatever comes along, like the joy or the sorrow, like invite it in, welcome it in. Um, and that's really become the philosophy that I try to embrace. And I don't always succeed and I don't always like remember it. But, you know, the terrible things in my life, the pain, the destruction, the stress, the whatever really has often shaped me in the best possible way. You still there? Did we lose connection? <laughs> uh oh. So, are you back? I'm back. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry about that. No, oh, no worries. It happens. Like, you know, it's like I love and hate Zoom all at the same time. I'm. I don't know what the last thing you heard was. Uh, you were talking about the guest house and mindfulness and trying to, uh, uh, you know, welcome in you know, whatever life throws in your way, I suppose. Yes. Yeah. Just recognizing that whatever comes along is, is an opportunity and it's not pleasant. It may not be enjoyable. It wouldn't be what we seek out. And I wouldn't go to seek out further stress or further pain or further sadness, but recognizing that whatever comes along, you know, I have the choice of how I'm going to receive that and whether I'm going to welcome it in and learn what I can learn, whether I'm going to try to push it away and kind of hide in my hole and like make things worse. So what, what are some of the most common misconceptions or or things you still run into with either people's preconceived notions or you know prejudice against someone who, who's done time um well the, <laughs> the misconception i get most i've probably gotten this question i don't know maybe a thousand times on social media about is it true about dropping the soap and i remember thinking that like if people really think that sexual assault is dependent upon like a single exterior activity like somebody <laughs> was in no way a predator but then the soap dropped and they saw it and that one just blows my mind because it, when people ask it as a joke it's like okay like you're trying to you know use levity or whatever but when people ask it seriously it just blows my mind in the way that they think about the world um but i think it's it's what you said before people don't really think about it but yeah more than 90 percent of the people in prison are going home one day and yet we don't think about that. We don't think about the importance of rehabilitation. We don't think about it, the importance of actually treating and giving people the tools to deal with things that they were dealing with poorly in the first place. Because if we had people who weren't able to function in society, then we removed them and put them with all the other people who weren't able to function with society uh, and didn't give them any new tools or training and then wonder why they can't function in society when they get out. I mean, it, it's, it's kind of obvious when you think about it, like the prison right. system doesn't make sense. Um, but then really, the, I, I guess the biggest thing is we, we think of prisoners or some people think of prisoners as bad people because of the bad things that they've done or the acts that they've done that have been harmful. But what I've found is that um, there, there's a quote, and I can't remember exactly what it is, but that violence is something no one has ever done. As, no one has ever been a violent actor before they've been a recipient of violence. Like it, it's always born in our experience. And the stories of trauma and abuse and these horrible things that I heard from all the guys in prison, at least most of the guys in prison, really changed my perspective of even some of the guys that I was scared of or I didn't like or I kind of judged while I was in there. And then when you hear the story of what they went through, all of a sudden it kind of humanizes that aspect. It humanizes the fact that this was a person who was in a great deal of pain who then continued to spread that pain to other people. And that doesn't make what they did okay. That doesn't even make it, you know, it's forgivable, but it makes it understandable. And I think that as we can like see ourselves in prisoners, um, that Jordan Peterson, who I like, don't necessarily 
he's a complicated guy, but um, he said something that I thought was really interesting. He said, you know, we need to read history from the perspective of the um, essentially the wrongdoer rather than the hero. Because if we're not understanding how people got into that place, we're not being honest with ourselves and we're not understanding you know, what the human capacity is. When we see the world as we're always the good guy and somebody else is a bad guy, we're not actually empathizing with other people. We're not actually being honest about the human capacity for terrible things. Um, it's just an interesting perspective that I think we, we don't teach or we don't learn a lot. Yeah, I mean, and kind of throwing it to like major motion pictures, like I think that was one of my favorite things about the whole Avengers franchise is Thanos thought he was the only good guy you know and uh you know it's no one no one thinks they're the villain no one thinks they're a bad person and i it's cliche but it's you know people aren't bad it's like their their acts are bad you know they're i'd say the majority of people are redeemable in one way or another and it's just it's kind of tragic just to see us being the largest most powerful country in the world just throw people away basically and it's kind of depressing right i mean and there is hope there there are things that are doing differently like people always talk about the norwegian prison system which is actually focused on restoration and restorative justice and rehabilitation and it's incredibly successful they have like lowest recidivism rate in the world um but they didn't start focusing on this in the way that it is until 2007 this is like a relatively recent phenomenon where they've said okay let's look at the science let's look at what makes sense and let's put the system into place and you have a group called Amen that's working with the North Dakota prison system, with the Oregon prison system, with some prisons in California, and saying, hey, like, it doesn't make sense to spend a ridiculous amount of our state budget on a system that doesn't work. So let's try this. Let's try this other system. And they're putting these programs into place and finding great success. And there's a lot of kind of entrenched resistance from staff or even from, you know, politicians who say, well, if we don't punish people, like, how are we going to feel better about ourselves? Right. Um, right. But it is slowly shifting, at least in some places. And I mean, I, th- I think it's kind of a, a, the state of our divided country right now where things are going both kind of opposite directions in different places where we have more about punishment in some areas and more about rehabilitation in others. But it, eventually it comes down to funding. Uh, there's a group that I'm hoping to work with that helps uh, inform prosecutorial practices. And they apply to both uh, those people who are interested in the social aspect or care, they care about you know, the human aspect, as well mm-hmm. as the financial aspect. And what they found is that the same policies that produce people that are you know, more rehabilitated, that are, are less likely to reoffend, that are more likely to contribute, are also the cost-effective policies. And it's interesting- Right, because you're gonna keep those people out of prison, <laughs> mostly. Exactly, yeah. 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 So at what point were you like, I need to become a, a, a TikTok person and and get get this out there and i mean uh, right away were I you just, like i'm gonna make a ton of this or were you just like i don't know i'll try it once or twice and see what happens i did not expect this at all so yeah. while i was locked up i mean i didn't know i was getting out i still had 10 years left on my sentence when i was when i was released last year uh, i had put in for a petition for clemency and you know they gave me an hour and a half's notice like hey mr crossing you're going home and i was like oh so like i had they gave you an hour and a half Oh, yeah, I had an hour and a half's notice that I was being released. Um, so I had, you know, I had this loose idea, like I had gone to college while I was inside again, because I was, you know, I had a mother who was amazing and allowed me to do that. I had gotten a license as a journeyman electrician. So I thought like, okay, I'm going to get out and be an electrician and like, just do what I can and, you know, not for, forget my buddies inside and send them a card every once in a while. Um, but instead my girlfriend said, you know, you, you need to do this. Like people are going to care about your story. And I thought she was crazy. I really did but the whole time I was inside, I always said I was going to go to the top of a mountain. I was going to eat Chinese food and I was going to have sex. Like that was going to be my, 
my kind of celebration. Yeah. But what it really was, that was like making light of it. What it really was, there was a lot of, there was a lot of trauma and there were a lot of experiences that were very heavy to carry with me through prison. And I never felt like I could really put them down. Like there were, there were times, you know, when the cell doors locked, I felt safe. I felt okay, but I could never fully put it down. And what I wanted to do was go to the top of that mountain and kind of leave that stuff behind, like cry, scream, do whatever I had to do. So I went to do that. And my girlfriend said, you know, you need to like record this. You need to tell this story. And so I did, I climbed to the top of the mountain and I just made a video and it wasn't as emotional. Like some of the stuff was very private because it was, it was very personal. And I wasn't, I definitely wasn't as open at that point, Uh, but I did, I just got to the top of the mountain. I said, Hey, I just got out of prison like three weeks ago and uh, I'm trying to figure out my life and I'm trying to move forward. And all of a sudden it got this incredible response. And people said, oh, well, we, we have questions or we want to hear this story or we're interested or, you know, please tell us about this. And it started building. And now I've been out for about 10 and a half months. And I, I mean, like I literally spend hours and hours a day doing social media questions and then making videos and, and interacting or doing podcasts. Um, and it's taken on a life of its own that I did not expect to be doing. Um, but that's incredibly gratifying. In some cases, it's gratifying. It's healing. It's the ability to connect with, you know, survivors of crime who say, hey, it helps me to hear somebody take accountability for their actions, because that helps me feel like there's some chance of rehabilitation for the person who hurt me. Or it's somebody who has a family member who's locked up who says, you know, my son's in prison and I just I need hope that he's going to be OK. I need hope that he's going to come out a better person. And it's, it's these interactions that are more meaningful than the vast majority of my interactions on a daily basis, because they're about something very real and kind of visceral and, and significant. That's really great. Do you get any of the opposite where people, you know, oh, say they shouldn't let you out or, you know, whatever. <laughs> oh yeah. That they should have killed me, that they should have put a bullet in my brain, that I'm a terrible person that, well, and I tell you, the general trollish comments don't really bother me because it's, one of the things I'm grateful for is I really have come into um, like a consistent life with my values and with who I am, but I still have insecurities and I still have things that I know I need improvement on. So when somebody's like, hey, you're an asshole and you need to die, eh, it doesn't bother me. But when somebody points out something that like I am insecure about, like I remember I, I did something for my girlfriend's birthday that I thought was really sweet, but somebody pointed out, they were like, you're so selfish. You made this about you and you didn't make this about her. And all of a sudden I was like, man, am I really like, do I need to be more open in a relationship? And I had to talk to him about it because it was like, man, I couldn't sleep. I was like, God, I'm like, I'm not, I'm not doing the right thing. And so when somebody does that, like those are the really like smart and kind of devious trolls. And those are the ones that get to me. But the other ones, it just, it kind of makes me sad because the same mindset, and this is all over social media, this isn't about me, but the same mindset of trying to hurt other people with our words is the same mindset that people say, like people deserve to go to prison for. Like you like hurting other people, so you're a bad person, but then you're out here hurting other people with your words. And what it is, it's people in pain who are hurting other people, like hurt people, hurt people. And I think it's unfortunate because people need help. The people in the prison system need help so they can turn their lives around. And people, a lot of people on social media need help so they can go in a different direction that's not about hurting other people's feelings. Yeah, it's always like physical damage is so much easier to heal from than, you know, psychological damage for sure. But you, you made me think of uh, there's a John John Mulaney bit where he talks about how like 13 year olds make fun of you, but in an accurate way where he's like, oh, look at that man over there. He's got womanly hips. And he's like, oh, that's the one thing I'm really sensitive about. <laughs> but yeah, it, it, it's you're right. It's, it's those insults that for whatever reason, even if they're not necessarily meant as insults, that they just hit like a little too close to home and dig yeah. up that your own trauma. Yeah, very much so. And I mean, that's that's the thing, like, God, I mean, I mean, you go through different experiences, like, especially one of the things that I've found is it's the easiest to hurt the people that we love or the people that we know the best. And that's why we have to really be careful. 
And I look at, you know, the relationships in my life and I try to be really conscious because once you've been close to somebody for a long time, or once you really know somebody and love somebody, like, you know how to hurt them and they know how to hurt you. So like my girlfriend and I, we made rules for fighting, which she did back when she was a kid with her brother. Like, okay. and it is like, okay, we can disagree. We can argue, like we can do these things, but you, you never say something out of time. You never like use something as, as a weapon. You never just these really simple ideas that I think a lot of people don't have. And one of the best things that I've done is, you know, have a lot of honest, uh, you know, ideas and kind of talking about how we're going to have conversations, how we're going to have arguments, how we're going to settle disputes, how we're going to do these things. And that was only possible because we started our relationship when we couldn't have a physical opponent while I was still inside. Um, and, you know, this was during COVID when we couldn't have visits, so we couldn't see each other. Like we didn't meet physically until the day that I got out, which was another weird experience. But we were basically in a committed relationship, but we had spent like untold hours or hundreds of hours discussing you know, kind of doing a data dump of our lives, but also our values and what we wanted and kind of setting a framework for our relationship. It makes me think of those old timey relationships that started, you know, where you would write letters for months and then, you know, we'd My do it dearest Virginia. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah it, 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 it works. There's something to be said for it. it. It's an interesting way of looking at dating opposed to like going out to have dinner and drinks and kind of put on your fakest best. You know, exactly. No, no, I love cats. You know, that kind of thing. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, I mean, because we have this buffet mentality where it's like, I want this thing in front of me and, you know, men or women, like we want the validation. We want either to get laid or we want somebody to tell us we're pretty or we want, we want whatever we're getting and we become the person that says that. Like there's a dishonesty to so much dating and there's so much interacting about pleasing the other person and trying to get what we want that leads to some really bad behaviors where I think probably the best thing that we could do if when we first go on a date is tell the other person like, Hey, these are all the ways that I'm fucked up. Like, these are my problems. Like, what about yours? Like, are we compatible? Can we even like figure out if this makes sense and take everything else off the table? Because otherwise what you develop is like a physical interaction or, you know, a, a certain level of physical intimacy, but no actual emotional intimacy, no honesty. It's, it's all about like, you know, Instagram and like the kind of touched up picture rather than like, yeah, I got a really bad toe and like I got this weird mole and yeah my arm didn't hang quite right and let's start with that like let's reverse catfish each other so when we do meet in person everything's better yeah and it, there's always this weird like <clears throat> I don't want to show the person how much I like them because they haven't shown me that level it's like this weird like arms race of like all right I'll, I'll let you know I like you a little <laughs> bit more and, oh they still like me all right I'll let you know I little and like that whole like no one wants to say I love you first kind of it's it's dating is horrible. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. I have uh, to say I'm grateful to have gotten out to a stable relationship rather than trying to navigate the world of dating like after prison. I just don't think that that would have gone well. Yeah. So uh, what has been like the biggest surprise since you got out as far as I think there was a, a video of you trying, um, oh shit, some sort of cheese and you're like blown oh, away. Yeah. Tell me that's what it was. But like, <clears throat> you know, like what has been the biggest surprise? Like what, what, what are you, you know, are you binge watching things? Like, like what, what's been the, the, the best part of getting out, I suppose. Uh, I haven't, I haven't watched a lot of TV. Like we're, we're trying to watch TV together so that we have an activity to do at night. Um, because I mean, we both are so exhausted by the end of the day that like, we want to have a conversation, but we sit down we talk for five minutes and then we're like, right, we're going to do something. We're going to go to bed. Um, there's this whole idea of like learning through stress and like using stress as a growth experience. And one of the things that's consistently found through this is an appreciation of things. And I, I remember looking at this when I started reading Viktor Frankl and his experience in the Holocaust and just 
it really appealed to me because that's been my experience is everything is like amazing. Um, having be, being able to eat the food that I want, being able to sleep, you know, where I want on a comfortable bed, being able to go out into the woods when I want, being able to take the dog out for a walk. Like I do a gratitude list every day and the things on there, people are like, dude, are you serious? Like you're, you're thankful for coffee. I was like, if you've had bad coffee for 20 years, every <laughs> yeah. time you get real good coffee, you're damn right. I'm thankful. Like I get up every morning and I smell it and I'm like, and I think that there's, there's a danger of that going away. There's a danger of losing that appreciation and starting to take things for granted but I've kind of consciously focused and I, I continue to try to consciously focus on appreciating these small things and keeping the perspective that, you know, 10 and a half months ago, this wasn't a possibility. Like none of this was a possibility. Um, and staying connected to that is really, you know, the, the whole idea that um, happiness isn't, you know, a wanting what we don't have. Happiness is wanting what we do have, like wanting and appreciating where we are and what we have. It doesn't mean we don't have aspirations, but the world is pretty amazing and it's really easy to get lost in whatever we're, you know, thinking or judging or needing or, you know, all that. And I find myself doing it more and more, but I don't know, as I look out my window right now and I can see a tree, it was 20 years. I wasn't able to get within an arm's length of a tree. And like, that's pretty special. And it may not seem very special to other people, but let me tell you. Yeah. You know, it, it's, a, it's, it, it's weird. It's, <clears throat> it's all the stuff that we take for granted that, you know, I don't think people really understand. And that goes back to one of those like stereotypical thoughts about prison where people be like, oh, you know, they're they're getting fed. They get, four, you know, th three square three square meals a day and a place to sleep. And all they get to do is, you know, hang out and work out and been like, yeah, but they can't do anything they want. Like it's 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 just such a lack of perspective on the the basic simplest things and i feel like those of us that were suffering through like quarantine and lockdown months ago is like all i wanted to do was hang out with my friends like that was so i can't imagine that for 19 years i remember i was still locked up for you know the beginning of the pandemic until the end of 2021 but somebody sent me a picture of a meme and it was like Kermit the Frog with the, the, the remote. And it says prisoners on quarantine. Like we're good. We're chilling. We gotta do this. <laughs> and there was, there was a certain truth to that because I mean, I spent months locked in my cell by myself. Like I I'd worked my way to a single cell and it was the only time that I like kind of regretted that because I had like months in the cell by myself at the beginning of the quarantine because we couldn't interact. We couldn't do anything. And I didn't have anybody to talk to. So I'm just like staring at the wall or watching TV or rereading the same book that I've read 17 times, you know? It was a limited experience, but at the same time, I had learned how to build a structure in a place and there wasn't any, and I learned how to, you know, make it as meaningful as possible. Uh, do you consider yourself a content creator now? I remember the first time somebody said that, I was like, yeah, I don't think, uh, I mean, yeah, I make videos, but I, I kind of feel like all I'm doing is telling stories. Uh, all I'm doing is sharing experiences. Um I guess the idea of like, I don't want to do something that's kind of like kitschy. And that's what I think of when I think of content creator, but that's not true because I've done like stupid trends. People have been like, look, we'd love to get your take on this. Um, but no, I mean, I I'm waiting to hear back from a, a full-time position. I have another one waiting. Like, I mean, I have a kind of real life or like real responsibilities outside of social media. Um, but yeah, it, it's an amazing opportunity to kind of put myself out in the world and interact with people and do things that I'm incredibly grateful for. It's something that, that I, you know, I get stressed out because I spend hours doing or because, you know, it, it can create stress when it's like, oh, honey, like, I know I want to do this, but I still have 7,000 comments I have to respond to, and, like <laughs> trying to find that way in our relationship. But um, no, I mean, I, I, I'm grateful for whatever this is, like whatever you want to call it. It's It's been an amazing opportunity that I never could have imagined. 
Yeah, it, it's it's interesting. It's like the oldest. I mean, I think when I think of a content creator, I think of someone who is uh, being genuine. And it, it's kind of like, even if you're doing something silly, it's still kind of a part of you. But telling stories is legitimately the oldest form of entertainment there is, you know, and, and, you know, sitting by a campfire and just talking and telling a story and being able to take those moments in your life that are worth talking about, whether they're silly or or serious or, you know, um, you know, engaging in some way and and being able to 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 relay it in, in 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 a way that's entertaining to other people and you do it in what is it 60 seconds is that what the limit on tiktok is usually i mean i do like longer form videos on youtube but that's still it, it's so funny because when i used to write essays i used to do everything slow and long form and these long developed thought out processes so when i first started doing tiktoks i was like how do you possibly fit anything in 60 seconds and now like i'll, I'll do a podcast or i'll go on tv or i'll like try to do a youtube video and i'm like all right i made it to like 57 seconds what do i do now like, <laughs> i've condensed everything so much um I mean, that's a danger because like I was a voracious reader for the whole time that I was in prison. I usually read between two and four books a week. It was the main thing that I did for like entertainment and stimulation. And since I've been out, I've probably read two books. Like I've, I've jumped into this kind of like shallower or faster paced world. And I, I kind of miss that sometimes. Like I have three books sitting on the table in the other room and I'm like, all right, today's going to be the day and I'm going to get in and I'll make it like 10 pages and then I'll let set it down for a week and I won't pick it back up. Um, and I miss that. I miss the depth. But at the same time, I recognize that you know, if I can convey a message, somebody told me this a long time ago, because I'm really interested in policy. Like the job I'm waiting to hear back with is a research fellow for an institution that does uh, policy work, basically. Um, But that policy doesn't change until culture changes and -hmm. culture changes by conversation. It changes by humanizing people. It changes through, you know, social interaction. So if I can have an impact on culture that makes policy that is more humane, more, more geared towards public safety, more geared towards something that I think we can be proud of 50 years from now, uh, I think that is as significant, if not a more significant impact. And it feels very like kind of audacious or ridiculous to say that. Uh, but at the same time, I, like I see that I get these messages all the time from somebody who says, you know, I always just thought people in prison were, you know, pieces of crap. And then like watching your videos, I realized like that could have been me. And when we can have that shift, like I had to have that shift. I had to have yeah. people open my eyes to the fact that, you know, the there, but for the grace of God, go I for so many people. I think that's the moment at which it's not just about political and policy change. Like that's literally how we make better people. When we can empathize with other people, when we can see the world as a group of us rather than us and them, like that's like a huge shift. And if I can add any part in that, I'm incredibly happy with the effect that I'm going to have. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's so hard to be judgmental of someone when you see yourself in their spot or it's the same thing when it's like, you know, someone will be like, oh, you know, you should never drink and drive, blah, blah, blah. I mean, like, wait, didn't you like drive when you shouldn't have at that Christmas party? Whatever. Oh, yeah, well, well, that was different. You know, like everyone's got an excuse. But I, I, I was actually talking about you at lunch because I went to lunch with a friend and I'm like, oh, I'm recording this podcast and it's a TikTok, blah, blah, blah. And uh, she's like, oh, and he was innocent. I'm like, no, man, like he was like, I, I did what I did. And she's like, oh, and that was when she became interested. And it was like the the idea of like that you're not blaming someone else that you're like this this was my sentence and i this is how i did my time and these are the questions that people are asking me and i think that sincerity is what is really compelling yeah well it's i i'm fascinated by the the fact that america 
is, you know, this obsessed with, you know, second chance stories or redemption stories, but then is like, once a criminal, always a criminal. It's like, either you believe in this and you want to believe in this or you don't, but there, yeah. there is a middle ground. There, there's a, um, a conservative uh, politician in the state that I met with a few months ago. And I sat down with him. I said, look, you know, most of the people in your party are not about criminal justice reform. Like, what's the difference? Like, why do you support the things you do? Because I'm really inspired by a lot of the work that he does. And he said, I'm a pastor. Like, and religion is a story about redemption. Like, how can I not believe in redemption as a pastor? Like, I feel like a total hypocrite. And so you have this like divide where you have these very progressive people, you have these very kind of evangelical people. Like there's this universal <clears throat> ability to kind of either separate people or, you know, kind of uh, unite people, regardless of, you know, what side people are on politically or religiously or socially. And it really is ultimately about whether we want to bring people together or take them apart. And if being authentic and, you know, sharing my best and my worst and just being open about it can somehow like bring people together or somehow start conversations. I mean, that's amazing because that's really all I have to offer. Like, I'm not that good of an artist. I don't have that many <laughs> other things going for me. <laughs> Yeah, but I mean, I like what you're doing is, is creative in a way. Like I said, it's it's that earliest form of entertainment that's telling a story, and you do a very good job of, of communicating and telling a story. Um, you know, and I think that that's that's why it's compelling, and, and it really does. Perfect example is I remember when the vaccine was coming out. Uh, there were talk where they were giving it to prisoners first because they're in such close contact with people and have no choice to be. And I was talking to this woman and she's like, that's wrong. You know, they're all murderers and child molesters and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, I mean, and guys that maybe got caught selling a bag of weed, like, you know, you can't always just jump to the worst possible case. There's a thousand reasons why people are in there and some, some just can't afford bail. You know, it, it's, it, it's a tough situation or, or some guy that, you know, lost his job and can't pay child support. Now he's inside. You know, it's, I think people always jump when they think of prison, they jump to the worst case scenarios, you know, the Charles Manson's and, you know, the, there's a lot more inside than just. Serial killers. But that's, and that's the other thing that the only reason I have stories to tell that are interesting is because I've had such a bizarre life. And I forget that. Like I've been out for, I think I'd been out for like, or on TikTok for like two or three months before I decided to like tell people about having a serial killer as a cellmate. Cause I like, in my mind, that was just normal. Like that just happened. And Courtney <laughs> was like, are you effing kidding me? Like people are going to hear about this. I was like, they're not like, he wasn't that interesting. He's like, oh no. And sure enough, that was like the most viral video I ever did. And again, I, I don't have any perspective because I don't have like a normal, I have to ask people like, what's interesting? Like, what do you want to hear about? People are like, we want to hear about the toilets that don't flush or that you have limited flushes on like wh why is that? Oh, that blew me away. That, that just blew me life. away when it's when you were talking about that. I was like, why would they limit the flushes of the toilet? And then like had to stop and think about. It. I'm like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. They can flood the cells or or whatever it is. Oh, I actually do have a, a note here. What is a green dot? Okay, so a green dot was kind of a, a precursor to Cash App. It was you would go to a store or you would go online and you would buy a green dot, which is like a prepaid credit card. And then you could send somebody that number and it was, you know, it was 50 bucks or hundred bucks or 500 uh, bucks. Okay. And that was the way a lot of transactions happened for Venmo and cash app and these other things became as popular as they were. So people would, you know, this guy inside would give somebody a bag of dope. His you know, family would then uh, give him a green dot number. He would give it to the other guy. They would check the number and withdraw the money. Uh, okay. That, that was the one, like, I don't know what he's talking about. So, um, so what what's what's next? You said you're 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 have a couple of full time jobs potential, but like, I mean, do you 
Like, do you see your, your TikTok and your content creation as a, a limited time thing, or do you intend to do it con- like continued on or like, what do you, or, or is there, or is there a plan? Uh, there, there's a loose plan. Uh, one, I feel like, you know, my story may be interesting, but my story only kind of gets me in the door. And one of the things I want to start doing is highlighting other people's stories. And I'd really like to have a platform in which I can kind of tell those stories of people who are making the best of their second chance. I did an interview with a, a friend out in California for, uh, for YouTube, for like part of the podcast we were trying to do. Uh, I've got a guy who's really fascinating because he's 34 years old and he spent, I think, like seven years in prison and nobody knows. He's, he went to school. He's um, the CFO of like a nonprofit. Like he's this really successful guy and nobody knows that he was in prison and he didn't even talk about it. So finally, we went out to dinner and we were talking about it. He was like, man, I didn't realize how bad I needed to talk to somebody about this to be able to like relate and be you know seen and heard and understood. And so like, I want to tell his story. I want to basically point out the fact that none of the people he went to college with, like none of the people he's been around know this. And this is something that you'll, you'll find like people in the world are like, okay, prisoners are bad people. And people out here are good. It's like, you don't know what your neighbor did. You don't know what your neighbor got away with. Like you don't know who the people around you are unless you listen to their stories. So I'm hoping that I can kind of spread more stories. I do. I, I am interested in policy and I, I hope that I can have an influence on policy through work either with the nonprofit that I'm waiting to hear back from or a few other opportunities. Um, you know, I, some of the other job offers that I have are like not in the field of reform and they're just kind of like something I could do to make money. But I look at it as if I can learn a new skill set, if I could go work with a content creation company or I could go work doing comms work or, or PR work, like it gives me a new skill set and a new idea of how to work, you know, so I can advocate for different bills because we haven't had a really great success. Like I went to go speak four times at the General Assembly this year and, and only two of the bills passed and they didn't actually go into law. They just went into a study. Um, so yeah, trying to figure out what I can do to use my experience and then kind of match my lived experience with the kind of research side or the evidence-based experience to say, Hey, this is what makes sense. Like this is what's backed up by evidence. This is what makes most sense financially and socially and just based humanely. Um, and hopefully yeah, have some kind of impact because the biggest thing that I learned on the inside is that a life lived just for ourselves is really not very meaningful and not very happy and not very like engaging and when we can find a way to do things for other people and engage in an interest in other people and in relationship with other people that at least for me is where life becomes meaningful yeah and it's interesting is like a life lived just for yourself is probably 90 percent of the reason why most of those people are in there it's why i was there and the thing is people think like prisoners are you know self-righteous and i was miserable like i was suicidal like i hated myself like I didn't do that because I was like a bad person who did like, I was desperate for connection and interaction and some guidance and mentor. I was desperate for those things. and I didn't know how to find them. And I think that when we can see again, people is like miserable who make bad decisions rather than people who are just malicious, it kind of changes the discussion. And all of a sudden we can see, you know, we can see ourselves in them or we can see someone we know in them and we can kind of shift the perspective. So, yeah. Well, I think what you're doing is really amazing. And uh, I encourage our listeners to go check out at second underscore chancer on TikTok. Um, and if you're not on TikTok, just get it. You'll waste several hours, but it's fun. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, I think what you're doing is really great and uh, is fascinating. And I hope you keep working on it, man. Like, is there is there anything else you want to plug? I mean, I know you have a website, but like, well, where else can people find you? Yeah, if you just look up Jesse Crossan, J-E-S-S-E-C-R-O-S-S-O-N, or Second Chancer, you know, I've got a YouTube channel and Instagram and, you know, pretty much all the platforms. Um, 
but yeah, hopefully I'll be actually, you know, at your state legislature, at your local prosecutor's office, or, you know, working in the community because the social media stuff is great and it's great to tell those stories. But again, I want to have an impact on the world. Like I, I've done a lot of harm and I want to find a way to contribute. So hopefully I'll see you in the community. And if you see me, just say hi. Awesome. Thanks, man. This was great. I feel like, I mean, that 45 minutes flew by. Uh, I mean, I can't believe it. Um, anytime you want to come back, you just let me know and we'll, we'll bring you back on because this was great. And uh, for our listeners, we'll uh, catch you guys again next week. And uh, make sure you go check out Jesse's uh, YouTube channel and TikTok and whatever. And uh, catch you guys. Thanks, Andy. And thanks for checking out the show today, listeners. Uh, if you enjoyed the content today, you can go over to patreon.com slash inebriart to support the show. You can join over there for just a few dollars a month and help us provide this fun content that you just checked out. You can also email us at inebriart.com with your questions, complaints, and concerns. Or you can find us on all social medias at inebriart or at inebriart6 on Instagram. And also don't forget to check out our other shows, Bar Talk Podcast, Old Colony Cast, Inebriart, and all the other shows on the Inebriart Network, which you can find at inebriart.com. Thanks again for listening.